Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where we share our latest insights on recent developments in politics and policy in the UK, Europe and internationally. Hello, this is Stephen Adams, GC Senior Director in the GC office in London. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking with Anna Martinez from the GC office in Brussels about events in Italy and in particular about the Eurogroup's imminent judgment uh, on the treatment of fiscal policy. Um, Anna, you've, you've just published a, a very, very interesting blog um, on this subject and you've, you've asked us to consider some of the potentially unintended consequences of events next week when the Eurogroup is expected on the 11th uh, to um, sign off on the Commission's proposal to uh, halt the excessive deficit procedure uh, against Italy. Before we, um, before we get into your, your theory of unintended consequences, which takes us all the way from Rome to The Hague, can you just um, give us a bit of a refresher on what the excessive deficit procedure is? Yes. Um, so I also wanted to give us a background about what was happening between Brussels and Italy and why the excessive deficit procedure was even in the picture here. Um, so you might recall that uh, the Italian government sent its uh, 2019 draft budget to the Commission in October. Uh, and that's when the power struggle began between Rome and Brussels. Um, this is because the Italian coalition parties, so this is the anti-establishment uh, Movimento Cinque Stelle and the far-right Lega, put together a budget with costly measures, um, such as the citizens' income and the flat tax. Um, now, the Commission reviewed um, Rome's plans um, and argued that it didn't comply with EU fiscal and deficit rules. Um, so this requires governments to keep public debt below 60% of GDP uh, and their budget deficit under 3%. Um, so Italy the, Ita the, Ita the Italian proposals um, are look set to break, th um, look set to, uh, to, to break those requirements. It, that's correct. Um, so the commission reviewed it and thought that uh, the calculations were not right. Um, and so it, it asked for um, some of the, the measures put forward by the coalition parties to um, be less ambitious or to come in at a later stage. Uh, and this is where Lega and Movimento Cinque Stelle were resisting. Uh, because, of course, they wanted to keep uh, the promise that they have made um, to their voters. Uh, and so that's when the Commission threatened to launch the excessive deficit procedure. Uh, and this is a procedure that uh, it is a lengthy one, um, but, you know, it, it could result in fines. Um, and this is what people were worried about. This is what Rome was worried about as well. Um, and this, the Commission can decide to apply this when countries are in breach of EU spending rules. Okay, so as you say, uh, late last year, it seemed that Rome and Brussels were on an inevitable collision course on uh, the Italian fiscal strategy. Um, and yet, next week, uh, the expectation is that Brussels is going to step back from that confrontation. Uh, why has that happened? So 
the reason why the commission the commission is going to put forward um, more information about its decision to stop um, the launch of the excessive deficit procedure was because um, the, the Netherlands asked for it. Um, but to, to answer your question, uh, there are some reasons why uh, the Commission might have decided to stop it that go beyond um, Italy's budget. Uh, so although an agreement has been reached to um, implement some of the flagship measures of uh, Lega and Movimento Cinque Stelle to later in the year, um, there are two factors that are, that are key in the Commission's decision. The first one being the proximity of the European elections um, scheduled in May this year. Uh, so already the European Parliament is expected to have uh, an increase of Eurosceptic voices, uh, which are going to make it harder for pro-EU parties to build a majority. So of course, the Commission does not want to feed into this, and it knew that rejecting Italy's budget uh, would probably mean that um, the coalition leaders, uh, Di Maio and Salvini, were going to campaign, um, were going to use this to campaign against the EU uh, in the upcoming um, European elections. Uh, and the second factor, factor is France. Um, the, the recent Yellow Jacket protests uh, came as a surprise uh, for EU officials um, and um, Emmanuel Macron was in a sense forced to bring forward measures um, to, to, to stop these protests. Um, and these measures are expected to increase Paris's deficit beyond uh, most likely um, the, the 3% uh, threshold. Um, and here this, it's important because one of the complaints, let's say, of southern member states has been the fact that there's no equal treatment um, at the EU le level between all the member states. So here, um, meaning that if Italy was going to be penalized, uh, France would also need to be penalized. Right. So this is clearly an intensely political process. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this is also arguably um, what the Netherlands is, is complaining about, the fact that it wants to see the numbers on, on, on paper um, backing uh, the European Commission decision to halt the excessive deficit procedure. Right. Now, and this brings us to the key point in your, in your blog, which is this point about the unintended consequences of this decision in the Netherlands. You make the point that it's the Dutch who are pushing for the Commission to explain its decision. And one of the reasons they're doing that is because this decision has some pretty important potential ramifications or consequences in Dutch domestic politics. So talk us through your argument there. Yes, um, I think this is an argument that hasn't been uh, reported enough uh, in the Brussels bubble, but one that you hear a lot if you talk to Dutch officials uh, here, uh, which is the fact that the excessive deficit procedure is not key um, for Rome or the Eurozone as a whole, but also to, to the Netherlands because of, because of two main reasons. The first one being that um, there was a forgotten variable there, um, meaning that yes, Euroscepticism 
might not grow in Italy now, um, but the commission failed to see that it could increase in the Netherlands. Uh, we need to remember that in the 2017 general election, uh, Dutch citizens uh, made the populist Party for Freedom the second largest group. Um, and since then, uh, a new party called the Forum for Democracy has also been growing. Um, they're right now third in the polls with 11% of support. Um, and, and this is a party that does not remain quiet about the EU. They have some very strong um, opinions about it. Um, and they are calling for a referendum on EU membership uh, and membership to the Eurozone. Um, they are also supporting um, this idea that that taxpayers are um, paying for the mistakes of um, other member states such as Greece and having to bail them out uh, just because they're unable um, to, to keep their house in, in, in order. Um, and the second, the second reason is Rutte, Mark Rutte's image has been um, impacted by this as well uh, at the EU level because he has been positioning himself uh, in the last few years as a pro-European uh, but a critical one um, who's able to bring change um, to, to the Eurozone and to the EU. Um, and he knows that Dutch citizens are very much concerned about um, you know, how the EU is using their money. Um, and in fact, he has also, he has already, um, he, he, he promised uh, that no more money was going to be spent on Greece and he was unable um, to, to, to keep this promise. Um, so he's being very, very careful with what he is uh, saying to Dutch voters around Italy, uh, but ultimately uh, the, e, the European Commission's decision um, makes it harder for pro-EU politicians like Rutte um, to promote the idea of the, a European project and the Eurozone uh, where all member states are treating, treated fairly and equally. Yeah, I mean, you, you make this point that the, the argument from Rome when facing on to Paris is that, you know, everybody has to be treated the same. Um, but of course, I guess Rutte would make exactly the same point that, you know, Dutch politics has been reshaped by austerity politics over the last eight years. Um, the, you know, the, the, the party landscape uh, has been transformed by uh, the political costs of implementing austerity measures designed to stay inside the EU's fiscal requirements. And uh, that inevitably creates a Dutch, uh, a, a Dutch um, public reluctant to see states like Italy treated differently. I mean, I have, I mean, Clearly, this is, this is now an important way in which this broader debate about fiscal discipline potentially plays out inside the Eurozone. It strikes me that, the, in some ways, the, the, the elephant in the room uh, in, your, in your blog is, is Germany. Um, because, of course, in, in many respects, the, the politics of the Netherlands um, are also the, the politics of Germany in this respect. Do you, do you see that kind of that link, that, 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 that broader problem of how you, um, how you, um, how you defend uh, a pro-Eurozone politics and potentially, of course, a politics of Eurozone reform in a, in a Europe where Germany's a key player 
and in which in many respects Germany's expectations are the same as the Netherlands that um, you know uh, common rules of discipline will apply to all. Mm -hmm. Yes absolutely um, and this is this also feeds into the rhetoric that Mark Rutte has been um, saying uh, back home which is you know I'm, I'm not gonna I, I don't want a, a deepening of the European Monetary Union or more Europe uh, like you know Macron was um, promoting uh, if a lot of member states are still not following the rules um, and even at, even there there's still a question of whether these countries are even happy with the status quo um, which of course yeah, right, the, the, the problem for Rutte is not just can I push for more integration it's can I can I actually defend the status quo uh, if, if even the existing rule book doesn't seem to be biting or is subject to um, political qualification, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, in the way that the Eurogroup currently seems to be contemplating. Mm -hmm. And this is not a debate that's happening um, in southern member states, for example. Um, so, so this uh, also ultimately um, deepens uh, the division between northern and southern uh, member states. In fact, it's one of the things that the, the Forum for Democracy, uh, the, the Dutch party um, asking for um, a referendum on EU membership is exploiting as well. Uh, that it's not only damaging Dutch taxpayers, but it's also destroying southern member states because of the austerity measures that they have to Right. You, you made the point that uh, the, the, the European parliamentary elections are clearly an important political variable here, as is France's current, um, uh, the, the current problems in France around the, the Gilets Jaunes. Is your guess that we come back to this confrontation later in the year, or do you think this is actually going to prove um, going to prove a problem that, um, that, that is going to be very difficult to bring to a head between Brussels and Rome? Um, I think things um, are still not 100% uh, decided yet. Um, I mean, um, Italy recently entered into recession. Again, this will be the third recession in the last decade. Uh, so definitely the issue of the stability, not only stability of the coalition parties, uh, but also the economic stability of the country is going to play a role. Um, this week, there was the State of the Union in the Netherlands, and I was, um, I mean, it's interesting to see how much Italy came up uh, during the discussion. Uh, so I, I do think not all has been said, um, and certainly also from, from uh, Italy's perspective um, towards uh, the European Parliament elections, we still have to see what's going to happen with the coalition party, whether they're going to be able to uh, continue working together. Um, there are rumors that, that you know, elections, um, new elections might come later in the year. Um, so we still have to, of course, uh, keep an eye on, on Italy and on the developments at the Eurozone uh, level. I think they're going to play a, a crucial role um, in, in May in the elections. Yeah. And of course, both after those elections and after the recomposition of the European Commission this year, we'll have both a European Parliament and a European Commission in which this debate will have been imported right to the heart of those institutions. Uh, yes, indeed. This is not going to be um, something that's going to go away um, in, in the coming months. It will, it will continue to be something that uh, people and in the institutions are going to talk about um, towards you know, the end of this year.
great. Well, I'm glad we've got it watching. We've got you watching it for us. Um, you can read Anna's blog uh, uh, and much more on the Global Council website, which is www.global-council.co.uk. For more insights, blogs and analysis, you can visit our website, www.global-council.co.uk and subscribe to our mailing list. You can also follow us on Twitter at global underscore council. <laughs>